The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. With me today, very special guest, former WWE superstar, two-time NWA National Heavyweight Champion, former OVW Tag Team Champion. You may know him as Chris Masters. He is, of course, Chris Adonis, the masterpiece. Welcome to two-man power trip. How are you doing, Chris? Uh, all good. It's good to be here. I mean, it's a little cold where I am. I'm out here in Houston, but I can't complain because I know you were just telling me you're in Jersey and I know it's freaking freezing up there. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hang in there. But, uh, you know, the funny thing is, is I'm actually doing this outside because, uh, Carlito is filming an audition in the house. So that's the reason I'm outside. <laughs> wow. What did, what's he filming an audition for? You're allowed to say? Oh, uh, I don't. You're not. You're not allowed to say specifically, but you know, he uh, he goes on various auditions here and there. So, what have you been up to? What are you uh, kind of doing down there? Uh, you know, I just needed to get out of Los Angeles for a while because Los Angeles is basically anarchy at this point. So, uh, you know, I called up Briz over here, just like, hey, uh, you know, can I come down for a little bit just to uh, get my head back on straight? You know, it's just. The, the pandemic has been tough on a lot of big cities, but L.A. specifically is riddled with crime and homelessness and drug addiction. And, uh, you know, and it's it's just, you know, a lot has gone wrong over there. It's gone south. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a war zone over there. It's terrible from what I've heard. So what have you been up to wrestling-wise? What's the latest? Uh, Wrestling-wise, just, uh, I mean, next month is filled up every weekend. But, I mean, outside of that, it's uh, been uh, NWA has been the platform I've been doing. Uh, some of my best work as of late uh, as the NWA national champion. And now uh, NWA is widely available for anybody. You don't necessarily have to have a Fight TV subscription. You can tune in on Fridays to on YouTube to get NWA Power. And then on Saturdays, you can tune in to nwa usa which is also a 30-minute show that um got a nice little morning show you can uh consume some wrestling in within 30 minutes as well so what do you think about the nwa and how's how it's going and like the progress i think you know uh, there's every promotion has little things i think that they're trying to tweak here or there but i think what i like about nwa is 
we kind of have we we have an identity and we know what that is and uh i think right now we have uh you know we have some talent that has just come in that can really i think help move this whole thing along you know what i mean like lots of motivated guys who know who they are in the business and who are just want to have a platform to be able to express that and try things with that character you know i'm thinking of jtg now as a singles star and then i'm also thinking of fandango who's playing dirty dango the dirty sexy boys and then uh you know you, the, the list goes on and on you have odinson and uh again uh, it's more just about for us it's about professional wrestling it's about storytelling it's about uh you know just making sense out there of what you're doing so uh and you know and our guys are also, you know, we, it might be, the presentation might be kind of old school in a sense because it's NWA and it's studio wrestling, but, you know, every single talent that you look up and down the line doesn't look uh, dated or anything like that. This is contemporary uh, talent that's, you know, in great shape and all of that. I like that, though, because it looks different. Like, it, it has the old school feel, but it looks different than the other shows because the other shows kind of all look the same. Yeah, it's just yeah, exactly. It's just something different. You know what I mean? I just feel like, you know, when I watch WWE specifically, sometimes it just feels like, uh, you know, it, it used to be a little more gritty. Um, I felt, and I, I think that maybe is one thing that's maybe missing in the presentation. I mean, what do I know? But I'm just, you know, you always as as wrestling fans, we always try to look at it, and I guess if you're not fulfilled, you try to think of what what could be changed in order to get some of that old magic back. You know, definitely. I do think too with the NWA, a lot of the guys are bigger. You know what I mean? Like in in some other promotions, I'm not going to mention names. Like they have a lot of small guys and maybe quote unquote gymnasts or stuff. But NWA has like big guys that look like wrestlers, like the old school kind of like, oh, that guy's somebody. You know, that guy could be a wrestler. You know, what uh, I mean? that, that's that's part of the deal. I mean, uh, you know, William Corgan, I think, was very uh, blade, uh, blunt about saying that you know he wanted grown men that look like ass kickers. You know what I mean? That were viable. And so you know, the promotion definitely. Uh, uh, focuses on that, but obviously there's always, you know, there's plenty of guys within there who aren't 260 pounds, who are athletes, and but also good storytellers and who uh, can thrive within NWA. You know, I just think William Corgan just recognized that, you know, one thing about professional wrestling, and I have this conversation with many of my peers, is, uh, you know, wrestling now is kind of just a, a niche audience. And part of that is because when you have people who aren't hardcore wrestling fans who turn on the TV and they see guys who uh, maybe aren't as physically overwhelming, you know what I mean? They kind of, they, you know what I mean? It doesn't draw in kind of the casual fan. The casual fan still wants to see something that looks larger than life. Guy, and not always, that doesn't always mean 270 pounds or anything like that, but, you know, a presence or size or, you know, that old, uh, analogy they use about somebody walking through the airport, you know, the old Vince McMahon one and being able to turn heads, you know what I mean? The presence of it. So, you know, I just think that that, uh, that is something that, uh, has kind of been a staple in wrestling and it doesn't have to be all of professional wrestling, but you know, when you're in a business where, uh, you know, this is a work essentially, uh, you don't want people, uh, regular folks just thinking they can beat up the world champions, uh, for instance. That's why some of the wrestling, I mean, I'm an old school fan from the 80s. I mean, I just grew up on the Hogan era and those guys. You know, Savage isn't the biggest guy in the world, but he was larger than life to, to many yes, people. Same with that's a perfect Hogan. example. That's a perfect example, man. Yeah, he was so larger than life that there's some guys that, you know, like Macho that, you know, yeah, they, like you said, they weren't 
exactly Hulk Hogan size, but man, they just had so much presence and charisma and the presentation that like it didn't matter. They were basically eight feet tall in the, the eyes of fans. You know, I mean, I look at, uh, you know, HBK is another guy kind of like that. Like we always recognize he wasn't the big guy in, in uh, basically all, if not most of his matches, but still, I mean, he had just such a presence and, uh, you know, just such a presentation to him and a chip on his shoulder and, a, you know, an ego and all that stuff. So, you know, very much, I mean, this is all stuff that, you know, is debatable amongst wrestling fans and stuff. You don't, you know, for me, I grew up loving the guys who weren't necessarily the biggest guys that were the great workers, the Shawn Michaels, the Bret Hart's, like those, you know, Ultimate Warrior got me watching wrestling. Yes, but as I progressed and got older and, you know, Warrior was coming and going, I started to really appreciate the athletic technicians who could, you know, do all these incredible things in the ring. We could tell we're just giving you something a little more and not so basic necessarily. You know, the athleticism, I think, is the main thing that captivated me, but I always loved Bret Hart's technical, uh, you know, the, his whole, the, his excellence of execution, the way he was that. It's funny with Bret, I feel like now more and more the fans, as the years go by, he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. People start to realize like, wow, he made this guy look good. He made that guy look good. Like he was so damn good and he just keeps getting better. I feel like Bret is finally getting more and more respect. Not that he didn't get respect before. I feel like more fans, though, appreciate him more than ever. Yeah, well, I don't know. I should hope so. You know, when you grew up kind of when I did, there's no way that, you know, there wouldn't be a day that went by where you wouldn't appreciate Bret. You know what I mean? Just because – you know, when you, if you were a fan around that time and you were watching professional wrestling, especially around, uh, you know, 1996 and 1997, I mean, Bret Hart was, uh, and, you know, Bret Hart already had great babyface wins before that, but, you know, that heel run, you know, the Canada versus the U.S. and just Bret Hart uh, kind of playing that heel role was uh, incredible. It was just absolutely incredible. And it was so different, too, because he's getting booed in the United States. He's getting cheered in Canada. That was a great time. Exactly. You know, that dynamic was – we'd never seen that dynamic before. It was so fun to see the roles change week by week. You know, like you said, one week they're a baby, they go to Canada. You know what I mean? It's just like – you know, and not just even that. There was just so much happening in that era. You know what I mean? Bret Hart is also basically responsible for Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, he kind of made Stone Cold, you know? So, like – you know, just so much happened in that time frame. And, um, you know, it's just a very good time to be a wrestling fan. I always laugh when people think like Austin 316, that King of the Ring started the Austin momentum. It helped, but they didn't do anything with it. Remember, he didn't even say Austin 316 for, for like months. They didn't bring it up. And SummerSlam that year, he didn't have a match until Brett came back. And when Brett had the match with him at Survivor Series and that buildup, that's when Austin became Austin. Yeah, yeah. Well, he planted the seed with Austin 316 yeah. thing. Because I do remember I went to a house show. It was my first house show um, sometime shortly after that. And, uh, you know, there were Austin 316 shirts already popping up everywhere. And it was uh, pretty incredible. I remember it was incredible because Stone Cold, I remember Stone Cold was a heel. And so to see yeah. a heel with shirts on was different. Sorry, just glancing at the Laker game. Uh, are they? Uh, are they still losing? <laughs> yeah, they are. They are, but you know, they're trying. I mean, we do look better with Anthony Davis at least. So you know, but LeBron's out this game, and you know, like I think LeBron and AD have only played literally like twenty-five percent of available games together since they had won the championship. It's some ridiculous number. So we just haven't seen a lot of our main two guys. 
it's crazy. We're getting off topic. Yeah, I was going to say it's crazy to think Mello is still going and and still playing. It's you know, it was like almost like the team might be too old. Yeah, it, it, it's been a rough season, but um, you know, Mello has definitely been a bright spot because uh, you know it's a lot of fun. Staples gets real excited every time he shoots the ball. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, Crypto.com Arena. It's not Staples oh, yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot they changed the name. Yeah, that sucks that they uh, that they did that. I know you're so ingrained at Staples Center for like the last 20 years. And but I mean, for- you know, you see you see this all the time with these arenas. I mean, I just kind of you kind of get used to it now. I mean, how many different arenas across the nation have changed their name? You know, I mean, yeah. I remember the Arrowhead Pond became of Anaheim became the uh, Honda Center and. Now it's something else. It's just, you know, it's always going to be there at Pond in my head, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, true. So as far as NWA, what are you like? What are your thoughts on, on like the future of, of where you guys are headed? Are you liking the Fight TV, YouTube, pay-per-view once in a while? I mean, are you liking the way it's going or you do you want to do more shows? Oh, definitely. It would be, um, you know, I think in a picture-perfect world, we would be shooting uh, not just our uh, NWA Power television when we all get together, but we'd be doing uh, – you know, kind of more live events, you know what I mean? Kind of uh, with uh, key players in different parts of the nation, if not even internationally, which would be great because obviously if they're able to consume it through YouTube, that's not just uh, uh, United States. That's, we're talking global now, global access to YouTube. And I think that's part of the exciting part is, you know, uh, NWA over the last year hasn't been on YouTube. So it's been a little harder to access. I mean, it was still a very great rate for anybody who's a, uh, a hardcore wrestling fan to be able to um, get a subscription, but to have the, just the easy access of being able to pull it up on YouTube will gather um, a lot of attention and we got a lot of great players. So I think a lot of people, you know, whether they purposely go looking for it or they just happen to stumble on it and start watching it will be, you know, people love YouTube. YouTube's a great platform. You know what I mean? And it's still going to come on fight. And it'll be on fight on Tuesday. It'll be available Tuesday uh, every week, 6.05. But then, uh, you know, if you don't have a subscription to fight, you can consume it on Friday. And then, like I said, you'll have NWA USA on Saturday. So, I don't know. It's going to be it's gonna be interesting. I just know that there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on it now because it'll be uh, much more easy to access. So, you know, that's going to be uh, interesting to hear all the different feedback and what people think. But, um you know, I just kind of have the utmost faith in all the players involved. I know the mentality of the crew. I know that, you know, it's definitely, uh, we got a good team over there. I love like the, the promos, the way that's done where no script, right? I mean, you're not reading off a top oh, no. of the script. Like, no, words. man. And it's beautiful. Like I, you know, I've been having so much fun with that because, you know, I just kind of, and I've, I'm like one part of my game I've been working on is, you know, my presentation just as far as getting updated kind of different ring gear, but also uh, obviously promos, you know, and the delivering promos that you mean. And, you know, so it's been great with that because, yeah, again, there hasn't been anything scripted. I can, you know, and I think this is where mainly everybody, you can kind of take it whatever direction uh, you want to take it as long as, you know, ultimately <clears throat> you're not, you know, completely deviating off script. So, uh, you know, it's just been, it's fun because it's really like not, you know, not only are you contributing to the NWA show, but it's also like a big commercial it's a platform for you to you know advertise yourself it's a commercial for yourself and it's a great place to do it and i've just found uh it to be amazing you know the creativity that is allowed there is uh is you know unmatched at least from what i've seen so far you know definitely 
And I didn't realize Billy was such a big fan because I interviewed him a few months ago. I knew he was a, you know, obviously a wrestling fan, but man, he knows he knows his stuff. Like he's really uh, a historian almost of wrestling. He loves it. Oh yeah, and that, and that's a lot of fun just to know that somebody is involved in it. And uh, and I know he's not the only one. I've heard all all about Tony Khan and how much of a fan he was and all the different shows he's attended. But I mean, that's just really what it comes down to. I mean, wrestling is the type of thing that um, to be involved in it at this level to either be performing or running a company i mean you got to have a love for it i think because there's a lot of you know if you don't have a love for it all the stuff all the bs you kind of have to deal with would be a lot more glaring as opposed to you know if you have love for it then you're going to work through any kind of bs you have to in terms of uh you know and bs means a lot of things you know what i mean but just uh, whether it's you know just dealing with different egos or, uh, you know, having to just sort of finishes between guys and, you know, all that, all that crazy stuff. So, uh, you know, it's an interesting business, obviously. What, like, what else are you looking to do? Are you looking to stay NWA? Are you looking elsewhere? I mean, do you want to stick NWA for, for like the long term or you want to kind of explore options? You know, I don't have any, any real set plans. My personal goal for myself and, you know, I'm with NWA now is just to put my best foot forward in terms of everything I just mentioned. It's like this year to go out there and put on the best matches possible that I can to give the best promos I can possible to invest in uh, presentation, be it gear, and to just know that I'm doing everything on my part to further myself as far as professional wrestling. And then let the chips fall what it may in terms of whether that's just, you know, that's me in NWA and striving for the 10 pounds of gold or just anything. I want to be, I want to put my best foot forward and be ready for anything I might be able to manifest uh, for myself through that. And there are other ideas, like I've been having a lot of fun just through even social media has been a lot of fun being able to piece together different reels. I've been able to do a couple of different things with Carlito, which has been fun. It's actually, I'm able to monetize it now, which has been uh, interesting. And I've been just trying to think more in terms of what else can I do as far as promoting myself. And, um, you know, while I've been with Carlito, I've been trying to brainstorm that and just see if there's something we can do together that might entertain the wrestling fans. Because, you know, my argument is we have all the tools at our disposal, even if you're not on uh, Raw on Monday or AEW on Wednesday, you still have, you know, this device, you have social media, you have YouTube, you have all that to be able to put out content for people out there and entertain people and put smiles on faces as we do. Definitely. Yeah. You got all the social media, you know, YouTube, we, like you said, and, and, so many and, you have, and it's more about you have, you have your base, you have your wrestling fans, and then you have the resources, be it, um, your peers and other friends in the business to help get, get uh, spread word of mouth and stuff like that. So um, again, you know, just putting everything I can into my wrestling and, and also just seeing what other things I might be able to do in terms of uh, either a show or, you know, just something for specifically the wrestling audience, but it would be great to draw obviously people even outside of the wrestling audience if uh, that was possible. So this, not new gear, but newer gear. Is this like a modern day gladiator kind of look? Oh, it's like, um, you know, so my cousin is a fashion designer and I've been wanting to collaborate with her for a long time. And obviously a lot of people know I grew up a big Shawn Michaels fan. 
So what I did is I tried to kind of give her an idea of exactly what you said, kind of like a gladiator look. I still wanted to take something from my old presentation, be it the robes and capes, which was primarily why we still use velvet in it. And then, so it's like a, a mashup of a little bit of HPK, gladiator, and some of my kind of old uh, cape and robe designs in terms of, uh, you know, velvet and different things like that. So, and that, to me, I just looked at that as, when I, you know, I tried to really look at when I was a wrestling fan, and I talked about this a little bit on the ad pre shows with uh, Conrad Thompson. But uh, I was able through the pandemic to really kind of get back in touch with uh, the, when I was just a kid that loved wrestling and what was it exactly that um, drew me to certain wrestlers. And to me, it was a combination of things it was like music, it was cool ring gear, like cool entrance ring gear. That was kind of a big thing to me. And I just realized that. Like, okay, well, if I was a fan, then I would want more, you know, more of these things. Uh, it's like almost like when you look at, if you look at yourself, you want to be able to vision yourself as an action figure type thing. So that's right. kind of the, that's the prism I've tried to focus it in front of. So I don't try to think in terms of my mind at this age, just more about the kid that was 15, 14, 13. I, I love wrestling most of my, my whole childhood. So what, what mattered to me then? and uh just try to apply all that like paul orndorff had the awesome robe so immediately as soon as he walks out you're like who the hell is this guy you know exactly but like the thing with me is, is i just i didn't want to make robes again because i feel like robes even when i did it back in the day i kind of felt like and we we kind of changed from the robe to more of a cape thing but uh mm -hmm. i just wanted to do something different now because now it's 2022 and it's like okay so you don't really have anybody wearing anything like this. And, um, you know, like Shawn Michaels did it so well with that stuff back in the day. Like, you know, I'm never going to walk out in chaps, but definitely doing a mashup of the vests and the, you know, like you said, the gladiator and the He-Man. That's another important aspect. You know, they, have, they do have a He-Man feel to it, too, which, again, as a kid, you see that, like, that's cool. Like, you would want an action figure of that, I think. Yeah, you got, like, a cool look immediately gets you interested in the guy then his character will shine through as well. yes 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 so when you were kind of starting the business did bassman our buddy rick bassman is that how you started upw that's how you got in absolutely absolutely i was doing some backyard wrestling out in california and my mom had seen some video of it and she was absolutely um, horrified and so she automatically just insisted that um, I go to the school because she knew that the school had existed because one of my friends already started going. And so she started driving me. It was a long drive, too. We drive, drove down there every weekend, about 45 minutes to an hour, I think, from uh, West Los Angeles to Huntington Beach, California. And, yeah, that's where I got my start with Rick. And uh, it was insane because I entered Rick's school, and it was just so many larger-than-life guys. And then, like, even Cena started right at that same time and Cena was humongous and I was only 16 years old I started working out but when I got there I realized like oh I was nowhere close to uh I got so much more work to do I didn't realize it right away but I realized fairly quickly like oh wow I got a lot of work to do um I'm not exactly and I got injured so those things you know I internalized those couple things and I realized that I needed to take 
a little, I was a little too young. I need to take a couple of years away, focus on my physical training and kind of build myself up a bit and just mature a little bit, get a little older too. You're so, I think I, I think I just turned 16. So it's just, it's difficult at that age to really, I mean, I've seen guys do it, but for me, and then after getting injured, I just knew that um, I needed more time. Do you remember who else was there at the time? Was like Samoa Joe there yet and Tom Howard? Oh, I, I, yeah, Tom Howard was there. He was my first trainer. Uh, you know, the Ballard brothers were there. Bad Boy Basil, who um, had gotten signed along with Cena, but then had unfortunately um, passed uh, sometime shortly after being signed to WWE. Aaron Aguilera was there. I mean, it was just the land of Sylvester uh, Turkey. You just got to imagine as a 16-year-old, Walking into that, I mean, it was just like unbelievable. And I, I just remember it was pretty intimidating just because it was so many big guys. And again, you got to factor I'm a kid and, um, you know, I'm not fully physically developed yet. So I'm just looking at all these monsters and <laughs> I just, wow. Yeah, it was, it was something else, but it was very impressive. And, you know, Rick was very impressive and for me. I hadn't been around anybody in the business and just to, you know, you find, you meet Rick and you hear, about, uh, you know, like the ultimate warrior. And for me, I, like I referenced to earlier, ultimate warrior is the first guy that kind of um, drew me to watching wrestling. So to find out that I'm essentially in the school with this guy, kind of uh, basically broken warriors, that's very, very impressive stuff. Yeah, pretty cool. Warrior and Sting and yeah, not, not bad. The list goes on and on. Yeah, Rick is very accomplished in terms of what he's produced um, in terms of his school. So then you said you got to take some time off. Then you end up in OVW, or how do you kind of get cross-country and end up with Cornette? Oh, um, okay. No, I took a couple of years off, and then I came back to Bassman. And oh, by, the okay. time, by the time I come back, I was in tremendous shape. I kind of I took up bodybuilding as a hobby, essentially, and I really just focused on getting more intelligent about how I eat and how I train. And, uh, you know, there's just so much that goes into that and and order to actually do it right. So I focused on that. And uh, by the time I came back, I was just a completely different guy. I mean, I was already on my way to being, you know, the Chris Masters you saw on television. You know, I just came back in tremendous shape. You know, I was really just a machine about eating every three hours, not missing a workout and all of that stuff. So I, I came back and I think I was kind of immediately on, you know, kind of everybody's radar because it was just like, at 18 years old, I think when I came back, it was about 18 and about to go to turn 19, maybe, or on the verge. And it was just uh, the thing that made me different, I think, was I had a muscle maturity at that such a young age. Like, usually, like, guys will get big, you know, in their early 20s or, you know, when they really train and do it consistently. But um, they usually don't have uh, the maturity. And that was the thing that kind of separated me. At that point, it's like I had the body of a guy that was maybe 10 years older, not just in size, but in terms of how it was built. And, you know, it's hard unless, you know, kind of about that stuff, what, what, I'm, to, what I'm saying. But, um, you know, that's why you look back at me at that age and a lot of people are always so baffled that, like, uh, that I was 21. Because, again, it looked more like, oh, he's got to be late 20s or early 20s just because nobody's usually built like that at that such a young age you know you that takes a lot of years of training to develop that kind of maturity for your muscle was that all like genetics or was that natural like how, how does that happen do you just 
genetic it was, freak? Like, it was just, like, I've had a lot of people do the same thing that I've done throughout their training. And I got to say a big part of it, probably the biggest part of it, and, you know, people will say what they want about supplements and whatnot, but it really is genetically, uh, you're either um, very gifted or you're not gifted or sometimes, you know, because I, again, I've had people who I've trained with me and we've done everything the same, essentially, although I wasn't able to live with them or anything like that, but you just, not everybody gets the same type of results. I just knew that coming from like my dad, my mom was very skinny on her side of the family. And then I hadn't met my dad until I was 22, but everything I had heard. And then from what I had seen about my dad was he was a very fit man and he continues to be a fit man this day. So uh, for me, I was a very skinny kid, but really that kind of helps out genetically because it might, you might be a harder gainer, but like for me, it was more about just I was so skinny, it was about consuming everything in sight, really, at least initially when I started training in order to uh, put on size. And then once I put on a lot of weight, like I did get fat at a certain point, like between that little gap between me coming back to UBW, I mean, I literally got my face at one, I just got really fat. I really even had a tire around my waist. And then I realized that I had to change now the way I was training and I had to diet back down. But like, because of those genetics, like with me just putting in the work as far as the cardio conditioning on top of the weight training, I was able to lose, uh, you know, I dropped like 55 pounds in uh, three months, I think, of wow. that, that change. And like then, so what happened then is, uh, you know, I was still heavier than when I started, obviously, um, because I had dieted down the 55 pounds. But, you know, I was automatically about 25 pounds heavier than I was uh, you know, when I first initially started training, well, you know what I mean? Which is a big jump, but that, a lot of that is just about eating like a madman. And that's, you have to be specifically in that situation that I'm describing, like myself, like you've got to be a skinny, skinny and a hard gainer and stuff like that for that kind of thing to work. Are you like measuring your food too? You know, you're putting the chicken on the scale, all that kind of stuff. No, I, I, I've never wanted to be like obsessive about, stuff like that like i always because i just feel like when you overcomplicate things like that that's what really kind of derails people i i wanted to get to a point where i feel like i can kind of eyeball things and know generally about you know what i mean like i know how much protein and how yeah. much carbs and how much fiber i need and i know what it looks like on a plate and i know like to be and like even to weigh yourself every day that i just i never found that to be healthy for me to be that obsessive about numbers you gotta kind of uh you know i feel like it has to be still a little free-flowing um because i don't want to be tracking down every micro or every calorie i don't want right. to be able to tell you exactly how many calories i took in every day but i do want to be able to tell you if you ask me oh about how many grams of protein again today well i can give you that and i'll know that even without me calculating it i'll know right now that i'm kind of right within the range of what i need to be and it's more about because being disciplined about you're eating, which means, you know, you wake up, you consume what you need to in the morning, and then you don't let more than three hours go by before you're eating, you know, preferably another small meal. Well, on a night like tonight, though, man, I, I mean, before I got in here with you, oh my gosh, we had macaroni and cheese dinner with uh, ground beef mixed in, and then I washed it down with a pint of ice cream. So maybe I'm not the best person to talk <laughs> about <laughs> diet. <laughs> I'm so full. But I'm sure you, you'll work it off, right? You work it out. 
Oh yeah, we we've been training our asses off over here. Carlito and me uh, have been definitely uh, working out real hard at the gym. So, oh, yeah. did you know, like UPW, OVW? Do you know that they're WWF hubs? Do you know that they're developmental when you're young in the business, or you're not aware of that? Uh yeah, no, I was very aware because some people that you just kind of knew right away from UPW that that was a place. Uh, I don't know, like even the first day I walked in, I think Antonio Noki might have been there. Like they had somebody scouting for Japan. So, I mean, it was just one of those places. So was that like the ultimate goal? You wanted to get in there? To what? WWE. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's why I grew up watching WWE. That was my main, uh, you know, the main thing I consumed. I mean, I watched the flip to a little bit of WCW throughout the years, but WWE was uh, definitely, definitely the main one. Does UPW send you to OVW? Like, how does that work? Like, how do you get in, into OVW? Um, yeah, uh, WWE had seen me. Um, uh, UPW and then they signed me and then they sent me to Louisville. What did you think about Jimmy Cornette? I loved him. He was great. He was very entertaining. So when you get there, do you know your character yet? Like, do you know yourself yet? Uh, they gave me the name Masters upon first entering there and then uh, Matt Morgan had come up with Masterpiece. What did you think? Like, this is perfect. This is a great gimmick. This is way in. Or were you thinking you want to, you know, be something else? Uh, no, that was good. I liked it. Yeah. I was all in favor. What was like the, like the kind of the masterpiece, obviously, but like, what's that? Like, what do they say? Like, you got to be like Paul Order if you got to be like, how do they describe it to you? Uh, well, I already had known through interactions with various people that I was kind of looked at like a quote unquote body guy. Um, yeah. and, and that I had reminded Vince of Paul Orndorff. So that was, <clears throat> I, I started kind of uh, looking into watching Paul Orndorff and watching uh, Ravishy and Rick Rude and, uh, different stuff like that. Is it hard to stay in shape like on the road? Cause you know, you're not in California anymore. You're moving all the way across country. Like, is that a hard thing to do to, to, stay in shape and, and you know be that muscular and and maintain basically uh, i mean it's always difficult when you're on the go and you're not settled in one spot because a lot of that is just about being in a good routine and it's hard to keep those routines at least when you're traveling so it was a little more difficult but not uh you know just take some adjusting it's more difficult when you get on like the road road where you know not where it's just to move to Louisville, but to be on the road four days a week and figure out how you go about uh, eating properly and training properly when you're in that situation. Because I always see guys that are like, if they're injured, they come back to usually in awesome shape, like better shape than they were when they're on the road. I remember even Big Show years ago, I mean, many years ago, but he came back, he was skinny, he was in awesome shape, and all of a sudden he goes back on the road and he doesn't look as great as he wants to. You know what I mean? It's, I don't know, the road seems yeah, to like, get No, it is. It, well, again, because you you're developing a good routine on the road is difficult. There kind of almost isn't uh, such a thing because everything is always different. Um, and every time you, uh, like, to have a routine, you're kind of waking up in the 
same situation every day. You're waking up to the same coffee pot. You're waking up, you're going to the same gym and it's just very boom, 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 boom. When you're on the road, there's always these little difficulties. It's hard, not that often everything works out perfectly. There's always like some kind of, uh, you know, but something that might happen on the road in terms of maybe there's not a gym in town or uh, what the, you have to drive three hours to get, there's, it's just, that's what happens when you travel. It's just things, when do things do work out perfect? I mean, you celebrate it and you, you love it, but the, you know, things are usually might work out okay, but then there's always some kind of little roadblock or something, uh, you know, you got to figure out. I'm always fascinated. Like when you get called up to WB, you're on, you know, you, you're immediately sent out to the road, but you don't really know where the gyms are, right? And where to eat and, and like hotels. I mean, you, do you find no. a veteran and the veteran helps you? I mean, that's always something I would think about. I'm like, man, how do these guys get used to it? Because it's not easy. They're just kind of thrown out there. Like you don't, you don't even know where you're going, but hey, hit the gym, hit the hotel, you know? Well, luckily for me, when I got on the road, it was right around when GPS was first became a thing, which couldn't come fast enough because I had a few weeks on the road where I was just using the maps and whatnot. And I, I mean, it was a disaster, especially if you're not driving with anybody else and you're trying to read a map as you're driving. I mean, I just, I, you know, I was having, I remember I was late to one of the live events and I was just making wrong terms left and right. And then somewhere within that time frame, I just remember I'd seen the first GPS system and I, I was one of the first p- people to buy it. And then I was trying to sell the veterans on it, like Val Venus and a few others. I was trying to explain to them like, hey, because they still want to use their Thomas guides and stuff like that, because that's what they were used to. But I was explaining to them, you know, with these GPSs, it's not just about being navigated to your destination. It's just, you could look up, uh, you can enter a gym into the navigation and it will find the closest gym in the area. And that's, not necessarily something you're going to find on a Thomas guide, are you? So, right. You know, I thank goodness that they came out with those when they did, because it did. Uh, I was one of the first people on it, and oh boy, was that helpful. Yeah, because I can imagine, like, without it, you'd be yes. like, where the hell is I the gym? Pe- people at home don't even get around with our, their GPSs anymore. Now, imagine going to fly to some foreign city. And you get to the airport and then you have to drive, you work at that arena and then you got to drive to another town with another arena. But then in between that, you're looking for gyms and you're looking for places to eat and there's no navigation. Wow. I I don't know how that, I don't know how the guys did it back in the day. I mean, I'd still be lost somewhere. That's probably why they like working the territories. You know what I mean? They stay in that Uh, one spot and then they know, yeah, they know where to go. Touche. Even I had somebody uh, visiting me last week, and they're like, "Oh, where, where's a good spot in like some town that we were visiting?" And I was like, "Oh, I'll just look it up." And boom, it you know gives me steakhouses. You know, it's so much there easier now than it was back in the day. I mean, back in the day, oof. I know we're, we're spoiled. Technology has really spoiled us. You know, yeah, I mean, it's oh, just. Yeah. I'm I'm glad though that I also lived in a time before the cell phones, just to know that. I imagine it'd be kind of a, a weird um, to adjust a lot or. Not to adjust, but weird to grow up on this society where everybody has a tablet and a phone with them all the time. And uh, I can't imagine it's going to be so great for our in-person social skills as a race. But, um, you know, who knows? We'll see. Yeah, it doesn't seem good at all. But who calls you up? Like, does Johnny Ace call you? How do you get called up to the main roster? Um, I think Dreamer actually was working in that position. And I just remember Dreamer calling me and just telling me I was on the road. And... uh, and I was thrilled because I got called onto the road. 
before I debuted, they had me on all the live events. I was basically traveling with the company and doing television for a good uh, five months before debuting. And that was just to get me used to the road and um, get me acquainted and get match time and learn all the ways of everything I was just kind of telling you about, about how you get around I me. Mean, I couldn't even rent a car. I was, I think, uh, what was I, 20 years old, I think. Yeah, you got to be 25, I think, at that point to rent a car. I think, yep, yeah. Yep, yep. So the Master <clears throat> Challenge became the big thing for you. Was that something you came up with? Did you always have? Because I remember you doing the Polish Hammer for a while, but was the Master Lock always kind of in the repertoire? Um, we we were just trying to figure out a finish to use, and we were playing around with a lot of different things. But we ended up falling on the full Nelson Um I had used the full Nelson as a bouncer before I broke into um, WWE, which was kind of the funny part. You know, it's a great restraint hold. Yeah. Yep. And w one thing you know, like when I was bouncing on Sunset Boulevard in LA, uh, it was just they didn't want us to beat anybody up, obviously. They wanted us, if we could, to restrain them and get them out. And so my uh, default was the full Nelson for that stuff. It's just perfect. And then with the pro wrestling or with WWE, it was more about also the kind of time frame we were in when I tell people that at that point, WWE was trying to recondition the fans into, uh, they had done a lot of extreme stuff, like jumping off 20 foot ladders and stuff. So what they were trying to do is kind of recondition the fans to start believing in some simple stuff again. That was actually, uh, that was actually credible though. And the full Nelson was a kind of perfect example of that. It's like, it's a very basic finish, but I mean, these holds are credible. You just have to build them the right way and uh, they catch on. And it, with the master lock, that's kind of what happened because you talk to a lot of people even nowadays and they'll tell me about how they did a master lock challenge with so-and-so. And, -so. and uh, you know, I even remember back in the day what, when YouTube first came out, seeing a lot of different YouTube videos dedicated to people doing shoot master lock challenges on each other, which believe me was pretty horrifying actually to watch. <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. But hey, I mean, they're watching you, right? I mean, you're getting over pretty much. It's very cool. Yeah, that part was very cool. But I, I got to admit, I felt like a bad influence just because these people, they were doing it like really just swinging each other. So I mean, it was, it was a very kind of sobering moment where it was cool to see that. But it was like, oh my gosh, these kids are really kind of hurting each other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you swing somebody in that thing, that's no joke. I mean, that can woof. Yeah, I mean that can be uh, that can be pretty painful. You blow out a neck or something. Oh yeah, big time. And it's funny, like that became a big part of Raw and a big part of WWE, like Master Lock Challenge. Who's gonna break it? You know, Flair, Val Venus, Slaughter, like a bunch of guys. Stevie Richard. I mean, a bunch of guys try to do it, but it became a big part of Raw. Did you kind of feel the momentum shifting? Like you really getting over with the crowd? Slowly, slowly. I, I think the the moment I kind of realized that we had really gone somewhere with it was when we were able to use it as a main event on Raw with Shawn Michaels and just to see how much people got into it. And again, they, you know, they're so invested in HBK because of who he is, but it just it also told me that the hold had been built really well for it to actually be able to be in a main event of Raw and really kind of draw up the reaction it did. So that was, I think, the moment where I, and I really realized, uh, at least first initially realized, and, but then you had other moments like, again, the YouTube 
video, seeing that, yeah. certain little things like that. And then you just realize, oh, a lot of people are doing this. Like, you know, I could almost see the eighth the eighth grade version of myself doing it in the hallway at high school to one of my friends. It was like, oh, that would have been me probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is with Michaels, like you were you know, a big fan of him. I mean, that's pretty awesome. You get to feud with him and you're, you know, you know a hero, hero basically. Oh, totally. That was exactly what that was. It was like that for me was like, imagine just any kid, like a kid grew up idolizing Michael Jordan and then breaks into the NBA and even more so gets to play him in the NBA finals. Because to me, outside of winning the world championship, kind of the highest accolade was either to win the world title or to be able to wrestle Shawn Michaels on a pay-per-view event because uh, he was just the man when it came to pay-per-view. Like every, he gave you pay-per-view caliber matches. And so to me, that was the highest honor. And I just know that when going into that situation, I just couldn't get out of my head. I'm like, man, you got to make sure you bring it come uh, pay-per-view day because you don't want this to go down. You don't ever want to look back at this and know that, you were the only guy to have a bad pay-per-view match with HBK. That's definitely got to be nerve-wracking too, because you've seen most of the matches too. You're like, damn, this was good. This was good. You know, I've seen all of them. No, yeah. I'd seen all of them. So that's exactly what I was weighing. I was like, I couldn't imagine. Imagine if I was the guy who stunk up the joint with Sean, but I, I just knew that wasn't going to happen just because it just meant so much to me, the opportunity. And, you know, I had already had the opportunity to work with Shawn Michaels on a lot of, um, live events before that so there was already a comfort and some chemistry and there's just something about working your favorite wrestler that's at least in my experience was the absolute easiest because you just know you just know even without even thinking all their little nuances you know their comeback as well as you know any of yours and you're just excited to feed their comeback as you would to be giving your own comeback if you were the baby face so it was just but again, it's also about who he is as a talent. He's just, you know, that's the easiest guy to have a great match with because of his skill and because of the investment the audience had in him for because of all the years of content and matches that he had given. How was he backstage at this point? You know, years before he had his issues. Here he seems like a changed man. Was he easy to deal with backstage? Yeah, I, I can't, I've heard... I've heard about the other Sean, but I never met the other Sean. I only met um, the guy who had come back who was very much a, uh, a changed man and very, um, you know, very much a family man, very much, uh, very religious. And I think I was happy to meet that version. I mean, I, it might have been devastating to meet the other Sean, at least coming from my standpoint, a guy who grew up, uh, you know, using him as kind of uh, a muse or, you know, or an idol, so to speak, or a hero. Um, you know, for me, my two main, main sports inspirations were, you know, Shawn Michaels and Kobe Bryant and still to this day. So I just think, um, yeah, he was, he was great with me. And like, I think, I, I think part of that, I don't know for sure, but I think part of that is I just tried to, to clear the air with him right from the get go and let him know uh, kind of what he meant to me as far as, uh, his influence on me as a kid. Just so he just kind of knew that, uh, if I say anything out of school, just know that, you know, I don't mean that. I think the world right. of you type thing. So he's probably thinking too, like, oh, I got to have a good match with this guy. He's my biggest fan. I better have a good match with him. I don't even know if he thought like that. You know what I mean? And, you know, 
who knows? I, I, I know I told him that, but I mean, I might have tried to even play it cool a little bit after that. I, I don't know for sure, but um, I think it was easy for him to have like a good match with me just because, again, I mean, I was 275 pounds and like him, he's such a great seller. I mean, just it's just such an easy. So and it was such a contrast, actually. You know, he just come out of the program with Hulk Hogan. So you've got, you know, Hulk Hogan, who's, you know, obviously a veteran and, you know, is a, a much different place in his career. And then now you've got like a young guy being me, 21 year old, who's, uh, you know, I'm not to say I'm as big as uh, physical wise as Hulk Hogan, but I obviously was uh, a physical specimen, <laughs> you know? Yes. So, uh, but, it, you know, I was also willing to do anything that Sean wanted and just wanted to, to learn from that. So coming from working at Hulk Hogan to working at a young guy like me, I got to imagine is a very uh, interesting contrast for um, for even him. But it's, he seemed like he seemed very happy in it. That's one thing I will say is even from the minute that we were working together, I, he just seemed. And even if you watch the promos that leading that we started with, I mean, you can just tell. I think he's having some of the most fun he's had at that point. You know, like he was, you know, just after coming out of that Hulk Hogan thing, he got to play the heel role, and you know, he was kind of really. Uh, like giving it to me, but in a funny way, as far as, you know, calling me out for what I am and being a greenhorn and just, you know, kind of, uh, kind of working, uh, like work shooting with his promo talking about how he's going to teach me stuff as we go along with this. And I remember he dropped the line, uh, you don't even know enough to know what you don't know, which was hilarious. And it sounds funny, but the best part about that is, as you, um, you go on in the business, like over the last few years, you really know what that actually, you know, that actually isn't just a funny line. That's a line that you could drop on a lot of young guys who, when they first get into the business, who are, are learning the the art of it. And it's just, it's so funny because, you know, they might think they have something figured out, but really it comes, it comes down to that line. It's not, no, no, wait a minute. You don't even know enough to know what you don't know. And that's just kind of saying that like, that's how freaking green you are. <laughs> you know, you got, right, yeah. you got so long to go. Yeah, genius, genius. Now, I know you don't like to get too negative now, but uh, what about John Cena and the Cena feud? Did you expect that to go differently? What, what do you think about working with John? Uh, I just don't think John was too big on working with me at the time. And I think it was just yeah, it was just a little more difficult uh, for us to have good matches with each other. And I think it was just... Sean was easy to have matches with, but Sean had so much experience too. And um, with Cena and me, like, I don't know. I just felt like he didn't, uh, we never got a good rhythm in terms of our, our, our working. And that might've been, that was probably my fault um, anyway, but I, it's hard to say for sure. I just remember that there were some times where Z Cena had voiced displeasure in my work and, it was difficult because I was working with Sean and Cena and, you know, Sean had even stuck up for me a few times saying that he didn't have any problem working with me. And he said it out loud, we, which was appreciated, but I don't know. It was just, I think that, um, I had some issues too around that time. So maybe it was, uh, uh, maybe that contributed to some of that, who, who knows for sure. But for whatever, for whatever reason, I just I felt like Cena just didn't, um, take too much pleasure in working with me and maybe he felt like uh i didn't give him enough chance to sell uh, i don't know i don't know specifics it's been such a long time 
It's funny though. Michael's obviously a lot better worker than Cena. No offense. <laughs> obviously, no offense, but uh, well, he's sticking part, up for you, the, you know? Yeah. Well, that was the part that was difficult to wrap my head around. I'm like, what am I, uh, what do I need to do differently? And so, uh, this is one of those things, you know, again, I mean, it's apples and oranges really to kind of compare those guys. So. And he, he was kind of doing the Superman scene at that thing. I mean, he didn't lose for like a year. It, it was a strange uh, bookie. I know they were trying to go the Hulk Hogan pattern and kind of give this guy a dominant run, but it, it seemed to turn like the half the crowd hated him. Half the crowd loved him. I don't know if you'd want that for your top baby face. You know, it's just, it didn't seem oh, to be, I, uh, you know, it, I think it just what it comes down to as long as they're reacting. The worst reaction you can get is quiet. Uh, so no matter what, when you hear everything you're just saying, when it's cheering and booing, regardless, it's it might be a polarizing reaction, but it's a reaction. And it's like they either care or they, they hate it or I don't know. I There's just there's something to be said about creating a uh, somebody's music hitting and everybody having a reaction to it so right, and, right, right. Yeah, no that, and, a big, and a big part with cena is outside even just the, you know he's explodes with charisma but he also had like a work ethic i mean there was nobody who slaved harder than cena so you just you kind of got to give credit where credit is due in terms of like you know the guy didn't ask for any days off and that's kind of one of the main parts of that job is being able to uh you know have that same uh, kind of work ethic of events which means you're on eight days a week with carlito too which is funny like you guys teamed together then you feuded a little bit what do you think about him at this point is that where the friendship and the relationship with carlito started basically teaming and feuding in wbf or did it start a little bit before that when you guys were on the road together yeah well coincidentally it did kind of start there but coincidentally around that time we had actually i think we had just started writing together anyway and then the next thing you knew they kind of started pairing us up um and from what I've heard, it was more so that I could learn from Carlos, uh, obviously being, you know, growing up, uh, born into the business and just being around it his whole life. There was a lot I could pick up from him. And uh, we just had a good chemistry. They kind of developed then. And as even uh, uh, even to this day, it's taken a lot of different forms. But, um, you know, so we were close around that point, And then I think we kind of. Uh, became closer even post WWE for both of us. We were booked on uh, like since what was it like 2011, 2012, that kind of time frame. We've been on so many different various independent shows in every part of the world and just shared a lot of uh, you know common experiences and stuff like that. And you know, huge NBA fans. And so, you know, there's just we get there's a lot of different various things we can connect on. And uh, also the, the business, obviously. We'll speak about the business every once in a while and, you know, different things that are going on and how we feel about that and, you know, just kind of get each other's opinions. Bobby Lashley is an interesting one because he technically breaks the master lock, right? He's kind of the first guy to do it. But now he's using it, but he's calling it the hurt lock. Did you kind of pass the torch to him, so to speak? I know he's a little bit older than you, but did did you kind of pass the torch of the the master lock onto him? Because that's his finish right now. Well, I I didn't necessarily um, pass it along to him. I didn't, uh, but I think really when you look at the situation, and I've said this before in the past, it's like uh, Bobby Lashley was the one to break the master lock, and. There's just, there's something to be said for the guy who breaks the master lock to adopt it. There is that make, 
you can see why that would make sense. Oh, like, you know, the guy who broke it now adopts it, especially when it, it's a guy with the physical stature of Bobby Lashley who looks the way he does. Yeah. So people have asked me about that since it um, happened. Like, I didn't know that they were going to do that or anything like that. Like, they didn't, it's not like they ran it by me or anything. But as soon as I saw that they were doing that, I at least, not that it matters my opinion, but in my head, I'm like, well, at least it makes sense. Being the factors that I just pointed out, it, it makes sense. It's not just some random person doing it. If they, let's put it this way: if they, for me, I think it. If you really think about this, and you looked at the situation, it would. It feels a lot better when you see Bobby Lashley doing it than it would just be some random dude that just debuted and is just now using. They're trying to give him the full Nelson now. So, and that's the first time I've kind of actually really looked at it from that angle right here with you and. It, it just, for me, I think it, it feels a lot better seeing that it's somebody like Bobby Lashley, who obviously they're, uh, it's a guy who, you know, I've known for a long time. He's a good dude. Another guy I've been, uh, we've been to a lot of different places together. You know, Bobby Lashley, be it uh, Cutter and, you know, Europe and all kinds of different places. So, you know, it's just, that's kind of where I stand on that. And he's winning the WWE World Title with it. I mean, pretty like big time stuff with with the Master Lock, basically. Yeah, and I still feel like at any given moment, it's a good opportunity for me to make my presence felt and uh, have the Master Lock challenge the Hurt Lock. Yeah, would that door be open? Who knows? As Bruce Pritchard said on something the wrestler that they did earlier this month it's just one of those situations where you never say never but there's i can't say that there's you know there's no indicators of that happening at any point uh right now so but with in this line of business you just it's one of those things where you just always got to be ready as uh, our friend matt cardona always says always be ready or always ready so it actually got to put with that it's just it's that type of business where never say never and you always be ready and all again just to go back to kind of where we even started the conversation um all i can be focused on um you know sure that i like that idea but all i can focus on personally is what i'm doing and that's again putting my uh, best foot forward, my best presentation, my best matches, and uh, promoting myself and showing everybody who I am in the year 2022, which is completely different performer and an evolved performer. And uh, people will see that. That would make perfect sense. And who knows with wrestling, because sometimes things that make perfect sense, they don't do it. So, I mean, who knows? But Lashley versus you, Master Lock, Her Lock, I mean, it would just makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, hopefully there'll be a time and a moment for that. That's uh, you know all you can do. It's hope. So in WWE, did you have any problems? Like I know there was a couple of suspensions and stuff. Did you have like you mentioned before you had some issues? What was like the problems going on for you then? And long gone, long behind you? Oh, it's and this is a problem kind of nationwide at this point. But you know the opiate. Um, epidemic had gotten to me and painkillers and that became a huge problem for me that um just kind of crept up i never thought it would be an issue and it became a big issue for me and i had a 
obviously a, a, a lot of disposable income. And I had also uh, had acquired uh, a, um, how should I say, um, like a never ending resource essentially. So I mean, it was just a bad combination and um, a lot of people suffer from it today. It's, it's a very difficult thing to get over. And uh, it happens in various ways. I just know for me personally, I had various injuries. I had one time ruptured an eardrum and had a nose broken and um, had been prescribed these different things for pain. And, uh, you know, some of them can be very habit forming, especially if you uh, are able to get access to that type of stuff. So, and that's kind of, that's what happened to me. I just, I really developed a bad habit with those. And it was really kind of derailed a lot of uh, what happened around that time frame. A lot of people always bring up that time frame and talk about WWE dropped the ball. Well, you know, it's not all on, on WWE. I, I was very young. It was my intention to get in. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a professional wrestler for WWE. And I wanted to do that as early and as young as possible. And I did that, which is great. But on the flip side, create, I didn't acquire a lot of life skills and I had to go through a lot of problems while uh, being a part of the WWE roster at such a young age and um, such an intimidating environment. And so I made a lot of mistakes and so some of those mistakes were very hard to recover from. I mean, essentially I'm still trying to recover from them this day, but um, you know, I am glad be, even beyond all that, when you look at what happened over the last decade and so forth, I mean, I've lost a lot of friends um, you know, and some of them specifically to that issue. So for me, yes, it's, I'm just very grateful for the fact that I am still here because I, I could have easily been one of those guys. I mean, I was really at a point where I was so, you know, so out of control with that stuff. And, uh, so I tried to, sorry, we cut out there for a second. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. So anyways, my point was, is I just, uh, I try to stay grateful that, you know, I wake up on a day like today and I have, uh, you know, all these opportunities to make the most of my life and that I'm here and I'm able to do that. As we head towards the finish here, head towards the wind down, what's next? What do you got coming up? I know you mentioned a little bit before, but what's coming up next for you? Oh my gosh, off the top of my head. Oh, you really got me. This whole next month is uh, is booked up, though. I know I'm going to the Northeast for um, a signing of sorts on the 4th and 5th coming up. Potentially, hopefully, PTW in Poland on the 19th to wrestle. Uh, actually, I don't even think I can say it because I don't think they've announced it, so I don't want to put that on blast. Um, there's going to be QPW coming up in uh, March. QPW is finally coming back. That's our friend Ali and uh, Cutter, who runs big time shows, and I'm sure he's going to have a stacked card. And um, of course, uh, I, there's much more, but uh, feel free if you want to keep tabs on what I'm doing. It is um, on Twitter, it's at Chris Adonis, and on Instagram, ChrisMasters310. So uh, anything that I'm doing goes out on there, but mainly Instagram. That's That's my favorite platform, so go there. Nice. Awesome. And it's crazy. It's been two years since Kobe passed. I can't believe it's been two years. Oh my God. Crazy. Oh uh, yeah. That was just, and the, it was the anniversary. I think it was yesterday, right? That was the anniversary of mm -hmm. it, but it was, uh, the, uh, the only thing I'll say about that 
in you know closing i mean for for a loss an angelino a native angelino meaning i grew up in la to lose kobe bryant was essentially the equivalent of uh gotham city losing uh batman or bruce wayne so yeah. it, it was definitely it still continues to be surreal to this day but um that will forever and ever be my guy and you know, anybody who's a true angelino will uh love kobe for their their lives and their the kids' lives and their kids' lives. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for all the time. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. It's good talking to you. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.